We're related, me and him. That's why we're both named Amel. Yeah, I, I think they get that. We're cousins, fraternally. That's why we have the same last name. They get it. My dad and his dad. We are going to be starting up our interview with Chris Pear, uh, the screenwriter for Code 8. Uh, we just want to thank him for taking the time to come on with us. So uh, here he is. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, so uh, what you been up to these last couple weeks during this crazy time? You know, it's funny, the, obviously things have changed dramatically um, yeah. and uh, people's lives are entirely different. For me as a writer, it's not, it's not all that different really. Uh, you it's know, really you, changed. You spend a lot of time, um, you know, writing from home and working from home. And um, so I just continue to do that. The only difference is I can't go after I'm done. I like to go out and do things and, you know, see people. But um, so that part sucks. But other than that, yeah, I just try to stick to my schedule, my writing routine, uh, and bring some normalcy into my life as best I can. Nice, nice. So have you been yeah. writing anything for the new uh, limited series on Quibi? Yeah, that's, uh, that's been keeping us busy. Um, you know, uh, I'm sure you guys read about it, but uh, you know, working on kind of like a, a sequel, sort of in between a film and a TV show for a Quibi. Um, which is which has been fun. So kind of an exciting uh, format to to play in, and we get to expand the world and dive into the characters more, and you know, show people what uh, they were all hoping to see in the movie they didn't get to see. You know, so is it a little early in the production of that for it to be affected by COVID? Are you kind of safe a little bit from? Yeah, I mean, we're still you know halfway through writing the the scripts, um, so we were never going to be shooting anytime soon, anyways. Cool. Um, where it gets tricky is, you know, our actors have other shows and, and every, every production is now basically just delayed until who knows. And um, when, it, when it all comes back up, we'll have to see how it shakes out as far as everyone's schedule goes. Yeah, it looks like just everything's going to get extended for five months or whatever. Yeah. Like, Yeah, I, I think realistically, you know, I don't want to say, but maybe next, early next year is uh, maybe when we would realistically be shooting. Okay. So people like uh, Stephen Amell and Robbie Amell having, you know, Steven's about to go on to a new show and Robbie obviously just did upload. Does that, you know, their future upcoming seasons are kind of what could either push it back or uh, yeah. delay it a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Their, their, their shows, um, you know, would, would get priority uh, to uh, what we would try to work around them. That was always the case. Even when we, even when we did the movie, Steven was so busy with arrow that, uh, you know, we had to manage that as best we could and write around it. And, and, and you could only be there so many days. So we had to, write his character to fit that what was the process for the limited series getting picked up picked up and for quibi yeah it was so when we finished the film um we hadn't found our u.s distributor yet um so we had you know we had a, we had a sales company um some films are, are done where it's all pre-bought uh, and pre-sold ahead of time and that's how you get your budget um you know, in the case of a studio, they would just own everything and give you the money and they would, the studio would put it out. We didn't do it with the studio, so it's a little more complicated. Uh, but wh well, when the film was done, we started taking it out and showing it around. And um, Quibi got a hold of it, saw it. They actually wanted to release, like kind of chop it up into mm. smaller bites and, and have it play on their platform when they launched. Um, and uh, we you know, ultimately decided we didn't want to go that route for the, for the release of the film. But we're like, would you guys be down to do like a little sequel thing? That's right. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. Like we, you know, we love the movie. Um, so we kind of pitched them. We just sent them back like uh, kind of like a pitch document with sort of like what we, 
you know, what we wanted to do and um, they loved it. And so we, we just kind of went forward from there. Now we're just writing it. It's really cool because it's kind of like what's going on with the John Wick universe where they created, they had this first yeah. movie that was pretty low budget and it was just an amazing flick. It blew up and now they're just expanding the universe in, you know, 10,000 different directions. I would love to see that happen yeah. with uh, Code 8. Yeah, I mean, we always wanted to do that. And so the film kind of ends in a way that's somewhat yeah. ambiguous about how things are going to end up. And that was intentional because we wanted to make more. Um, uh, TV is obviously a, a great way to expand it out. But if you get to do sequels and, and you know, more films, um, for sure. You know, the thing about a movie is like it, it's kind of contained. You can only go so far off the main threads. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got a lot of questions. You know, a lot of people want to see where those threads could go. So that's the nice thing about, uh, you know, kind of doing the sequel now. Did you, I mean, did you have those threads when you were first writing the short film? Like, was this something that you knew was a world that you could expand on? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, before we decided on on what we were going to make for the short, there was just, a, it was just a lot of conversations between me and, um, you know, the director, mm-hmm. um, you know, about what this world looks like and sounds like and what people get in, get involved in and, um, we had so many different versions of even what the short could be, but it was a fun way to kind of see, you know, what types of stories exist in this, this fictional city we created. Um, eventually we landed on what we landed on for the short that was not designed to really connect with anything bigger as far as the feature goes, because we wanted it to have like a, we just wanted it to be like a solid 10 minute thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, even there's a big cliffhanger, you know, when you go to sit down and do the feature, if you jump off from that exact moment, you're kind of already off in a certain direction that is hard to pull back from. So we decided to actually kind of just detach from the short film um, as far as where we would start the feature, even though there's kind of like a nod to it, like it's still, you kind of get a sense of it if you've seen both. Um, But yeah, we just wanted to, we didn't want to have to necessarily go in that exact direction that the short went in. Yeah. And you, it, obviously, it was you and uh, Jeff Chan, the director, kind of creating this. At what point were uh, Stephen and Robbie kind of brought in? Was it early on, or did you always have them as like you know coming on throughout the process? Yeah, no, very early on. I mean, this this was always designed to be something we would crowdfund with them, and it was okay. like it was kind of like you know Stephen and Robbie always talked about you know being doing more stuff together. I think they got to do like one scene on a, on a flash arrow crossover. Yeah, they, they were not on it at all to like barely a couple scenes together. Yeah. Right. They didn't even get to speak to each or say a line or something. I so they, they've always wanted to like kind of do, you know, do something. And um, at the same time, Jeff and Robbie were really old friends as well. And okay. um, like wanted to do stuff. And um, that's how I got to, to meet Robbie as well. And so, yeah, we've just been friends for a long time and, it was kind of, was just kind of like the timing sort of started to line up and where they were at with, with their careers and, and the platform of fans that they had built. We figured, hey, you know, maybe we can actually kickstart this thing um, on a, like a crowdfund. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they're always involved. It was always tailored to be something that they would be, they would be in. Unfortunately, when we did the short film, Steven's schedule mm-hmm. didn't fit. And so he couldn't be in that. And that's when we reached out to Sung Kang um, to, to kind of come in and, and fill out the role of the cop. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, were you at all surprised with how the Indiegogo went? How crazy? Oh, it yeah. Went? Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, you figured it'd, it'd have a chance of doing okay. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we, I think our original goal was like 200,000 and we're kind of hoping like, oh, it'd be great if we just cracked that and got to like 300,000, you know, like 
it'd be a great little bit of seed money that we can use and go out and hopefully raise more money. Um, but we hit that 200,000 in like the first 24 hours and it was kind of like, Oh, this thing is, this is, this is blowing up. This is happening. Um, we, you know, thankfully had people that had some experience with crowdfunding, uh, working with us and, and even Indiegogo was involved cause they, they saw potential. Yeah. So they were kind of like, it was, it was good because they were like, you know, if it does blow up, have these things ready, you know, so that you can continue to, to offer people things and, and mm-hmm. create value and keep mm-hmm. driving it up. So we were somewhat prepared, but not nearly prepared for the demand. So we were kind of scrambling to be like, all right, what else do people want? Like, what else can we yeah. give them? And, oh, let's do like set tours. And, oh, let's do like a big birthday party. Like, you know, like just anything you could think <laughs> anything of. Anything you like, could possibly come up with. Yeah. Like, oh, here, people want the shirt? Okay, give them the shirt. Like, yeah. so awesome. Yeah. Just sitting on, like on the set just being like, what can we do? <laughs> just shipping out to Stephen DeMell's use like beer bottles. and. Yeah. I mean, Stephen would literally be like, hey, I've got this thing at home you know, this like broken arrowhead or whatever. Jeez. And we'd be like, yes, take it. Like, it, it. It was just like, the answer was automatically yes. Just Always like, yes. The CW yes. doesn't know I took this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a bit of that for sure. So awesome. That's yeah. so cool. I mean, for like a writer, you know, this is one of the first comic scripts that you've gotten to do. What was it like being on set and seeing like your you know, writing coming to life in one of those scenes? Yeah, it's, it's pretty surreal, to be honest. It's a weird feeling, um, especially with this, because we actually had a lot of time from when we started writing the script to when we shot it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, some scripts sit around for like years before they get made. I, I mean, more like we're just like working on it like almost every day. Yeah. Because things were evolving, budgets, changes, whatever, locations. Like, um, so with, it's, it's, it's a strange feeling that's hard to describe because on one hand, you're like, you're like excited. You're seeing. You're there. You're in the look. You're on the location. The, the actors, the character names now have faces and voices, and they're speaking, and it's all coming together. But at the same time, now you're like, oh, I can't change that anymore. Like that's that's it. That's what we're shooting. So it's, which is good. I mean, you got to let go. But letting go of of this thing that is is paper for so long, and and just like ideas, and you always want to figure out how you can make it better you can't do that. You know, you can get to post and you can make changes there for sure. And we, and we did, but, um, so that's a strange feeling to sort of see it transition from being like the script to now it is a movie. And what was like the coolest scene that you wrote that you got to see show like shot, like when you were watching it be filmed or saw it on the, on the screen, what was like, Holy crap. Like I wrote that. I would say like the coolest feeling was actually day one. Um, because Steven just landed uh, we hadn't seen him yet because he was shooting Arrow and I think he had a little vacation with his family and he, he came, basically landed like that, that day. Um, and the, the first scene um, that we shot uh, was, um, if you remember, the, the, the four of them are sitting at the diner and it's when uh, like Steven's character's there, Robbie's character, and then the two characters, uh, Maddie and Freddie. And it was a great little like contained little scene where they were kind of feeling out what, Robbie's character was all about and why he was doing this. Um, but it was awesome because we just got that, that, that happened to be day one where the team in the movie, like, you know, the team got, was like sitting together, kind of having this chat and feeling each other out. And there was just something really cool about like, I was like, okay, this is, this is who these characters are now. They're, they're these people. This is the writing now coming to life in, in this little cool little like just dialogue scene. It wasn't action, no sci-fi, no genre stuff. 
so for me that was like really special um and then obviously like the days where you know you write like crazy action and you see these stunt guys doing it and like drones and like robots, robots dropping from the sky <laughs> yeah and- yeah i mean that stuff is all like wow i didn't think we were actually going to get to do that when i wrote those words but there it is, this is awesome <laughs> yeah yeah that's a really cool moment nice. uh, you know getting more into like what the movie was what was the process of like coming up with the different powers was it always pretty obvious like what those powers were going to be yeah we kind of had like so so our take on the genre which is a crowded genre there's you know so so many things out there that have superpowers but we we saw like a little sliver of 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 something where it would sort of push the genre elements a little bit to the background mm-hmm. and would feel more grounded and realistic and um you know not necessarily even though we feel like a lot of familiar um you know uh, superpower films um you know what we went for would would just be a little more grounded more relatable it really focused on character um I had, I forgot your question now. So what was your question? Did you have any like direct inspiration (laughs) for this take on the superhero genre? Because when I was watching it, it reminded me like so many scenes directly of District 9 where the take on the alien movie there was if those aliens really came here, we would be just shitless scared and we would do everything in our power to control them and keep them contained. That's exactly what you're doing with the superhero genre if we really had superheroes with those kind of powers, like, holy shit, could you imagine? And the yeah. government or what, who have you would do everything in their power to control them. Is there any other kind of inspiration you had for that like type of realism you used? Yeah, I mean, there are certain films that um, we were definitely looking at as far as the way we felt like they approached genre and the way they executed it. Um, you know, Chronicle was a big one. Um, you know, just yeah. doing a found footage thing. The characters felt super real and they, they made decisions that felt believable for those characters. And, um, you know, and then at the same time, it was sort of just like, what other, what are, what other movies are doing stuff that, you know, just feels very realistic in their approach. And like End of Watch was a great reference as far as like the way police, you know, looked and sounded and, and operated. That's and kind of from, you know, and then there's a whole bunch of other references too that, you know, that we would talk about. But, um, you know, a lot of it, like those early conversations of just like, well, what would it really be like? Like if you had these powers, unless they were so great and so powerful that you were like pretty much unstoppable, um, you know, what are you going to do with them? You know? And, and we just started thinking about like, well, how would that actually fit into the world? How would people look at them? You know? And we tied, we tied it to, you know, there would be a time where as cities were really booming and you went through the industrial revolution, these types of powers, you know, a lot of it's like for physical labor. You could, you can, you know, if you're super strong or, you know, you can move things telekinetically, like that would be probably the height of what you would be needed for. Maybe there would be like certain war situations, but still like bullets are stronger, you know, like no one's so powerful that they can just stop any man-made machine. And so, you know, we're like, well, kind of what you saw happen to the workforce, like the, the sort of the blue collar jobs as automation came in, would probably happen to the people that have powers as well. And then it's kind of like, well, then what, what do you do with it? And then it's not really practical. Then it's kind of just like a weapon if you don't know how to control it, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you could apply it to like certain sports or whatever. So we decided to kind of stay away from sports, but um, you know, yeah, for the most part on a day-to-day life, it was just like, yeah, I think it would make you different in a way that people wouldn't feel super comfortable with, you know? And so yeah. that was kind of the, that was kind of the jumping off point. 
Well, no, I know what, one of the ways that you kind of subverted, you know, expectations of like superpowers was like uh, Sun Kang's daughter in the movie has, she's telekinetic. And when you hear telekinetic, your first thought is almost just like Professor Xavier and you have this right. image of it. Was that intentional in taking, you know, well-known superpowers and kind of subverting what, you know, they look like on film? Yeah, totally. I mean, for, again, a, a lot of it came down to just like, how, like we want to create a believable, realistic world, one that feels very much like our own. And so when we talked about what powers we would use or more, more specifically what we wouldn't use, it kind of came down to how would that look? And um, we kind of went with stuff that we felt like we could still do it. Like we chose no, we decided no flying because we thought flying would just look too unrealistic. Like yeah. it would all of a sudden now we're in a different world. This person's flying. Um, and I know you could say the same thing about someone creating fire, but just something about the way it looked on screen and the way like there was like, it just seemed believable. Even like telekinesis, like obviously that doesn't exist or maybe you believe it does, but it, uh, it, it just looks believable when you do it. And so that was kind of like our effects with those types of powers with flying. It's almost like you have to do super special effects for that type of power. Yeah. Like we could have certainly shot someone flying. I just think it would have, it just would have looked kind of out of place in this grounded well, it's world. It's how you're different than any other superhero movie. You kept it grounded. Like you kept yeah. it realistic. Yeah. And we kind of had wow. to, I mean, the thing is like, you know, even if we had the money, the more money to, to do, more powers and do them bigger um you know the best uh, is, is has already been done and is being done in theaters every week at, at the highest you level you leave it completely open for the future like you ever want to bring in a character that you know has these ridiculous powers like yeah it's just wide open after that, mm -hmm. that yeah movie. yeah for sure yeah do y'all are y'all planning on introducing any new powers in the series or is it kind of like we've established what the powers are already no, I think it's something we always um, will look at. We, we, you know, we have our list and, and um, a lot of times though, it's kind of like we, we you know, we're still, the, the decisions we make are more what's going to suit the story best and the character, like what makes sense? Like we're, we're just really committed to kind of focusing on a, on, on, a, on a story that I think will really grab people and pull people in. And if, if we can organically have these powers be a part of that, that's what we're always looking for. And that's hard to do. Um, you know, it's, it'd be a lot easier if we let go a little bit and just kind of had all these powers come in. And so it's always finding ways to like show that without really betraying, you know, what the characters, what's really important to the characters. Cool. That's awesome. And yeah. so, I mean, obviously it, it hit Netflix and you guys had a lot of success with that. Was that, I mean, another moment just kind of like the Indiegogo where you were caught yeah. off guard or what, what were your reactions to all that? Yeah, we were totally blown away. I mean, it's like kind of similar to the Indiegogo exactly. Um, you know, it hit Netflix and it, it wasn't, it's not a Netflix original. And, um, we weren't sure how that would kind of play on, on Netflix when it got there, um, because they tend to push their originals. Um, but like within 24 hours, it was, it cracked these top 10 lists that they have now. And, um, yeah, we just couldn't believe it. And then it was like number one movie in you know, most major countries, like major markets. Um, so we were just like, this is you know, all of a sudden you see t Twitter and Instagram and reviews and people from all around the world just like watching it and commenting on it and reviewing it and um, to see that people kind of dug it and, and um, you know, not everyone, you know, people have their criticisms and it's helpful to hear that. And um, I think a lot of it's fair, um, but it's still really cool just to see people like watching, you know, we're talking like, you know, tens of millions of people around the world, like 
yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here in, in my house uh, in quarantine and all of a sudden this happens and Famous. the life for the world around you doesn't change, but like it also has and you can't see it, but you know, you, you feel it. It's weird. Everything's changed. Yeah. Just wait until you just wait till like two, three months from now you walk out and people know you. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 Maybe it's yeah. going to be crazy. When, yeah. When yeah. Ends. I mean, do you have any other plans for the future whenever this is all over? What are you going to be you know, doing just or is it full on code eight uh, limited series? Yeah. I mean, you know, Code 8 has been with us, has been a part of my life now since early 2015. Um, every time I kind of want to like escape it because I'm like, all right, I've been in this world for so long. Um, something kind of comes up and a new opportunity arises and, you know, we're, we're still excited about what we could do with it. So it's never like, oh, let's just move away from this and go do something else. Um, you know, there are other projects that, that I, I um, am working on that I'm excited about, but Code 8 is just continues to uh, open up new doors. So, you know, we just keep going through them and seeing where it takes us.